You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Welcome to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ, 750 AM, 312-255-8408. You can also get us on YouTube.com slash Catholic Chicago. Father Greg Sacco, it's the rector of Holy Name Cathedral and co-host, Mark Teresi, executive director of the cathedral. How are you, Mark? Good. What a great Monday morning. And Mark, it's in August Chicago. 1. We're, June flew by. July flew by. It was four weeks ago today. July 4th, a month ago, the July 4th holiday, and it's now the 1st of August. It's like, where is summer flying? The years have flown by. Months, month by month and years, but still a lot of fun. We're still having a lot of fun. I told you on the way over, we had a block party at our son and his wife's house with our little James Mark, but also the granddaughters, and they decided to splash Grandpa all over the place from their little pool. But Which was went, a blast. But it then was, you went from one block party to another, to another, to another also, one, too. Where there, and what was fun was summer. It was yeah. summer. It was, it was just, do you remember the times you were in a pool splashing? Do you remember as a kid, we used to go in the backyard with a sprinkler. Mm-hmm. The sprinkler would be going back and forth, back and forth, and run through the water, the cold water, and loved it. Yeah, the exactly. sprinkler, in fact, I haven't thought about that in a long time. You know, catching fireflies in the summertime, catching mm-hmm. butterflies. And we're going to blink. It'll be Labor Day in the fall I, and then winter. I hope we don't see you running around the sprinkler <laughs> in the courtyard at Holy Name. <laughs> try, try to catch lightning bugs. <laughs> okay. Oh. I think Greg is having a long day here. Yes. We have a great program lined up, 312-255-8408. 312-255-8408. Could I, before we start, sure. mention one thing? Please you got do. the email, too. Uh, one of our listeners who has our email parishioner sent a message to us saying last week's program with Vicki Quaddy, um made her laugh. It was the first time that her husband had passed away, and and she needed to find the joy again. So I was just thrilled that uh, she sent us an email saying she could laugh. Yeah. Uh, it was the first time she laughed in a long, long time. In a long time. time. And between us— and Vicky asking oh. those questions on her little quiz, and you kept beating me. Mm-hmm. I think I think I was zero for four, <laughs> and just uh, that's why I brought it up again. But anyway, because <laughs> you really uh, you really kicked me uh, g- good last Thursday <laughs> in the little contest there. Okay, thanks for mentioning that. <laughs> okay, don't mention it. Pope Francis visited Canada from July 24th through the 29th, with stops in the provinces of Alberta and Quebec and the territory of Nunavut. The trip mainly focused on apologizing for the Catholic Church's role in the Canadian Indian residential school system and reconciliation with the country's indigenous people. It was the first papal visit to Canada since 2002, 
when Pope John Paul II visited the country. Joining us to talk about the Pope's visit is the director of the Hank Center for the Catholic Intellectual Heritage at Loyola University, Chicago, Michael Murphy. Good morning, Michael. Welcome to the program. Uh, good, morning. good morning, Father Greg, and good morning, Mark. Good Great to be morning. here. Thank you for joining us. Now, Michael, before we begin, where were you raised? Are you from Chicago? <laughs> oh, I was just thinking about summers as you two were speaking about it. Um, I was, my parents, I come from a long line of Chicagoans. My, uh, my dad at Edgewater, my mom, oh. uh, West Side. But I, my dad was an advertising guy. He got transferred to California. And so I was born and raised in California. And so um, when I got the job at Loyola, it was, it was a lot like coming home. Mm-hmm. My grandpa always said, hey, maybe you'll go to school here one day. Well, so <laughs> it, it kind of worked <laughs> out in a roundabout way. So then you uh, basically grew up in what, what part of California, Michael? I grew up in Southern California, a city called Fullerton, not far from uh, Disneyland. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. But your mother and father yeah. roots are in Chicago. That's right. How yeah. far were you from the ocean? About 13 miles. Oh, not bad. That's incredible. Not so. bad. Mm-mm. Well, maybe is it? Yeah, it was a great. It was a great childhood. I loved growing up there. I loved visiting my cousins and grandparents in Chicago. I spent summers in Chicago as a kid, maybe three times. Mm. Oh, you did. I remember drinking out of the garden hose. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, oh my yes. gosh. Yes, yes, now, yes. beside the sprinkler system, Michael, I haven't <laughs> thought about that in years. Drinking out of the garden hose. Oh yeah. Oh big. yeah. Oh, and then and then turn it on my sister and brother. <laughs> <laughs> Put my, and when you put your thumb on it, so it really right, sports you'd hard. Right, really you really get some oh, yeah. momentum. God, Michael, thanks for that add memory. A, 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 a greeting to Vicky, who uh, had the gift of laugh, laughter last week. That's that's incredible. That's much needed. Yeah, it sure is. She's got a very quick wit and just these great one-liners, and to have that or that one of our parishioners uh, write to us and say, you know, Mark and Greg, thank you for making us laugh, making me laugh. Uh, hasn't done that in months or years or a long time. It was just good. Well, Michael, this is a very important topic, historic yeah. visit from Pope Francis. Uh, maybe give us the background that led up to Pope Francis going to Canada last week because it was the, the, the setting or the founding goes back a couple of years. Am I correct in terms of a letter to yeah, him? Yeah, or, or, or um, You know, it really goes back to... Well, you have to do the history. I'm not going to do, we can't do the whole thing, but it goes back to the history of these residential schools uh, in the Americas, both in the U.S. and Canada from the mid-19th century on. So it's about 125, 130 years of these residential schools. And so, you know, you know, he hasn't, there's been, there hasn't been a papal visit in 20 years, but in the intervening years, there was a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that uh, really, invited, well, quite frankly, invited a conversation, but invited invited an apology for, uh, uh, in the name of, uh, of the church uh, and other churches, I mean, uh, non-Catholic denominations, but, but the Pope was actually singled out and invited, uh, I think in a way of, um, uh, of mending fences, but there was no, um, it, was, it was a direct invitation that was attached to this uh, to the, the pain and sorrow of these residential schools. So that was 2015. And so it took about seven years, but the Pope made the visit uh, last week. And he made a statement, don't you think, physically 
with his limitations to still make that visit. Could you speak to that a little bit? I actually can, and actually a very personal way too. Um, uh, we at Loyola, we, we had a, a Zoom event with Pope Francis in February. Mm-hmm. It was global and it was, you know, we had millions of hits and all that. And the Pope, the Pope loved it. Uh, it's, it comes out of a, an, an initiative basically trying to um, have college kids from across the Americas working together in the spirit of, uh, with the Holy Spirit, but also with their studies to solve complex social problems. So Pope Francis loved that idea so much, he invited us to the Vatican. And we were there in May, uh, myself and four colleagues, and we were given 45 minutes with the Holy Father. Wow, wow. Yeah, we didn't we didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a joyous, very familial time. But we were, you know, it was very, very serious. Mm-hmm. You know, there were serious things, but we also laughed and, but the thing I, it was, it was, I think his first, it was his first, I think, meeting when he had a wheelchair. So, uh, and we went to the canonization mass that, which was beautiful that weekend. And he, he was in the wheelchair for, for a lot of it. And so that was the first kind of witness of his own osteoarthritis, I think is what he has, but he's suffering very much. Um, but so we, we were able to kind of like, you know, he greeted us sitting down in the chair, which was noteworthy. Um, so I can tell you just from being with him and then watching him, there's so much kind of rich imagery. You know, I don't know if he's a he's going for theatrics. I mean, I, there's always a there's always a the speech of public movements, which is very liturgical in its way. But he is communicating something about his suffering, mm-hmm. uh, walking together with people in that synodal way, um, but walking, you know, very Ignatian too with a wounded knee. You know, so. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. Now, Michael, without getting uh, too deep, you had a 45 minutes with four colleagues with uh, Pope Francis. What was the gist of the conversation? Easy. Uh, it was all about young people. And um, there was, you know, some, we talked a lot about Laudato Si, especially the sections which were, um, you know, about, you know, certainly the, the ecological realities of climate catastrophe, climate change, but really it was more about, as much about um, the technocratic paradigm, the digital revolution, and how uh, Pope Francis feels that, um, that, that, that the young people are kind of a little more uh, excarnate. They're, 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 not, they're not face-to-face. They don't encounter each other mm-hmm. as physically. And so, so we were kind of concerned about uh, trying to model ways of being present to one another in a theology of encounter. And so, and he was really worried about young people being um, high rates of, of loneliness, higher rates of mental illness, higher, higher rates of being medicated. And so, the, the, you know, we're professors, our, our work is with young people. It was mostly about um, pastoral and professorial academic work, it was mostly like person to person spirituality, psychology, pastorality, being pastoral with. Young people. You know, Michael, the last few years, you talk about our world, the world of computer, cell phone, no longer face-to-face. Well, COVID, since March of 2020, has really epitomized Zoom learning, e-learning, nothing face-to-face. You know, the whole thing about churches, let's come together, gather on the table of the Lord, gather as community. What does COVID do? Stay home, be isolated. So the last few years has not helped at all. No, no. Now, Michael, I'm fascinated— so 
parents, Chicago, you grew up in California. Did you ever imagine you'd be spending 45 minutes with the Pope? And how did you get there? How did you get there? Uh, before I forget one thing with Father, um, Father, for Lent of 2020, um, my Lenten resolution was to cut my screen time in half. Hmm. It tripled. Yeah. yeah, I believe it. That's yeah. a good point. Well taken. Yeah. And that, and that's not good because something something happens with all of this. I mean, it's so nice. I'm in Portugal right now. So uh, so it's it's amazing to be able to speak to you mm-hmm. in this way that, you know, it's, it, it can be neutral, but in some ways technology is not. On, on yours, Mark, um, how did we get there? You know, we we had a friend, we had Dr. Emil Secuda, who's from Argentina, and she's uh, one of the, the new kind of women leaders who's been, uh, you know, with her gifts, given a chance to lead a pontifical commission. And uh, it's so funny. And then we we invited her to give a talk on synodality. And along the way, she's getting promoted by the Pope as we're planning in November. Wow. In December, she says, I just got promoted. And we said, well, hey, maybe you can bring your friend Pope Francis by for our, our February <laughs> event. And, and then and then she, you know, she she wrote back about a week later and said, the Pope accepts. Oh. <laughs> wow. Oh. Guess who's coming for dinner? Yeah. But it kind of went from there, Mark, and it was like, uh, but the Pope, it fit his eye. You know, it just fit his eye. So we really, and it's a lot of work. You know, we're we're reaching out. We're now into into Africa. We're trying to scale up this model. But it's a lot of work, and, you know, it's good work. It's needed work. But that's the short short, uh, take on it. And how did you get to the Hank Center, Center? I mean, it's quite a challenging position. And what's your sh- yeah. shortly? What's your journey to that position? My journey out to University of San Francisco. I thought I was going to be an attorney. I was on law school track, doing great books and doing uh, English major, but very much into kind of a Catholic liberal arts tradition. Uh, and then I I taught for some years. Went back to get my doctorate. I was reading Hans Urs von Balthasar, one of my favorite theologians. Uh, you know, and then um, I taught for, I taught high school for a lot of years in California, but then I did doctoral studies, wrote a good first book. It was interdisciplinary, very much the Catholic studies, integrated liberal arts, kind of, um, you know, public space theology. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, the job opened up at Loyola in, in directing Catholic studies. And all along the, my time kind of growing up in, 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 um, in my formation, there are these centers that are sprouted at, at, at campuses across the country, maybe even the world, but more in the U.S. And these are just uh, like the Hank family endowed the center for, you know, for focusing on the unique gift of the Catholic intellectual tradition. So I was tr- I was trained precisely for this work, but I also worked in hotels for some time. You know, oh. <laughs> I, I have all the, I'm a really strange, I'm a strangely educated person, but I have all the things you need. For uh, you know, to, to kind of host, host our conferences and and uh, you know build relationships and be able to, to, to speak with you guys. Are you been the director of the Hank Center for how long now, Michael? I'm just starting my sixth year. So okay. I, I was I was associate director for five years. I've been there for ten years, going on eleven. Uh, now, but director go, for five. If we back up a little bit, going back to the whole thing of the Pope's visit to uh, Canada, just lay yeah. the foundation. What was the mindset? in the mid-19th century with the government both in Canada and the U.S. 
to move this this whole sense in direction to me it is so I, I can't I can't yeah. even fathom what was going on and I, I as I read in a couple of j- journals and papers this was cultural yeah. genocide mm-hmm. so just back up yeah. historically and uh, yeah. lay the foundation you can't um, you can't lawyer yourself out of this it's uh, we have to face this. Um, it comes out of that old like noble savage stuff we're taught in the, in school, but it, it's taught that like um, that somehow these uh, First Nations and Indigenous are somehow <laughs> somehow don't have the image and likeness of God impressed upon them like like everybody like it, it's just it's a it's a it's a it's an Aboriginal barrier building that never should have been there and we did it and so some of the logic was like this weird in late enlightenment logic where their heads are different, their brains are smaller, blah, blah, blah. Mm. They, you know, they get sick easier. They're different. And so it's a classic migratory culture clash. It's a toxic and upside down vision of the gospel that claims power. And you're going to teach the, the, the indigenous not to be themselves. Mm -hmm. So, but then it becomes, um, you know, systematized. And it becomes daily, and it becomes quotidian, wow. as Hannah Arendt said about the uh, about the Nazism that that evil became uh, banal or banal, and you, you just stop, you you forget to, you you don't notice it anymore. So um, it's painful, and the Pope faced that, um, and it's very late in the game, but uh, here we are now to uh, to face it and, and hopefully begin to untie the knots, you know? You know, it's, Michael, what's amazing is that in the stories I was reading, these children were being beaten up if they were caught speaking their native language. They were beaten up. Yeah. They, were, they were trying to strip them of everything, like a cleansing to um, change them over. Like what they, what they were was wrong. Now we're going to give you the right way. Uh, when we come back, yeah. I'm going to have, have uh, Mark take us to break, though. Is, yeah. um, well, Mark, take us a break. Okay. WNDZ 750 AM, Catholic Chicago, 312-255-8408. Or you go to youtube.com slash Catholic Chicago. We're, we're speaking with Michael Murphy, director of the Hank Center for Catholic Theolo- Intellectual <laughs> Heritage, Loyola University. When we come back, you know, the Pope apologized twice publicly um, to this population. Uh, I'd like to know how that fits into a papacy, you know, a public apology like that. We'll be back in a few minutes. Please stay tuned. Charities Refugee Resettlement Program has been especially busy this year, assisting individuals and families who have fled dangerous situations in their homeland, including Afghanistan and the Ukraine. The Refugee Resettlement Team helps with everything they need to start to rebuild their lives in a new country, including housing, employment, clothing, food, English classes, and referrals for legal and immigration services. 
The refugees are tremendously grateful for the compassion and practical help they're receiving, and they're giving back and helping each other plan for a brighter, safer future. Volunteer opportunities are currently available for those who would like to be family mentors and tutors so children and adults can practice English. To learn more about these rewarding opportunities, call 312-655-7096. That's 312-655-7096. myself going into any other school. Our school fosters growth by being a backbone to our family. My kids are incredibly well-rounded. I see a lot of kindness in them on a daily basis. One of the things I think Catholic schools do well is personalize the learning experience. You can hear joy in the classrooms. I feel that like I'm happy that I am in this kind of school. Our school communities provide students with academic excellence and character education in a supportive and stable learning environment. Come see for yourself. Visit artschicago.org slash findaschool. Catholic Charities offers a wide variety of volunteer opportunities to those who want to share their time and help us serve people in need. Whether it's stocking the shelves of our food pantries, helping refugees learn the English language, tutoring school-aged children, becoming a mentor to young adults, sorting clothes in our clothing rooms, serving hot meals to those who are facing homelessness, or delivering meals and making cards to lift the spirits of our homebound seniors, we are deeply grateful to all those who want to join in our mission of mercy. Volunteer opportunities are updated weekly for people of all ages at ccofchicagovolunteer.com or just call us at 312-655-7053. That's 312-655-7053. Thank you for helping us follow Jesus' call to serve our neighbors in need. We're back, WNDZ 750 AM, Catholic Chicago, 312-255-8408, or you can go to youtube.com slash Catholic Chicago. We're with Michael Murphy, who is the head of the Hank Center for the Catholic Intellectual Heritage at Loyola University. We're talking about the Pope's visit to Canada. Michael, question. I know it said the Pope apologized publicly uh, in the spirit of penance, uh, for the atrocities that occurred. Uh, why does it, first of all, for a pope to apologize publicly for anything, uh, what's the precedent for that? And secondly, why did it take so long? Uh, good questions. Um, I'm sure there's other precedents. Maybe, maybe there's not, but I'm just remembering uh, St. Pope John Paul II at, um, in uh, Jerusalem and all of the a profound connection in in apology and being present to the the sin of any kind of collaboration with the Holocaust um, and Nazism. 
very messy past there. So there's that could be a precedent. But um, you know, with Pope Francis, again, his whole papacy, his whole papacy kind of begins and ends on on theology of encounter, but really uh, being uh, being a living mercy to one another. So I think I thought it was really interesting how you know he says estoy dolido, right? He's he's not apologizing in Italian or French or English or the church's language of Latin. He's apologizing in his own native tongue because he is from the Americas. He's from the lands in which the, the, the colonization is taking place. So I thought there's an authenticity person to person the Pope to say, I have great sorrow. I'm sorry for what has happened. And I think really as far as apologizing go, I think it should be quite obvious. I mean, uh, it is obvious to me, but like it's, it's the sacrament of the church, right? It is to say, it, it comes out of the out of the sacrament of reconciliation and confession, and all that that entails: true contrition, true compunction, resolution to you know to uh, improve and to abate the, the malady. There's a lot, you know. There's an art to the apology. Catholics, it's such a beautiful theology. Uh, we should be better at it. But I think that's what he's doing, and it's authentic. Now, along those lines, Michael. Um... Cardinal Subic has a wonderful line that goes like this. Forgiving doesn't change the past. It changes the future. And oh. A profound line. And yeah. along those lines, in the readings I was doing, there seems to be two camps that were formed. One that felt his apology was very authentic and mm. sufficed. But another camp that says it wasn't enough, it didn't go far enough. Can you address that? The, the two trains of thought on his apology. Yeah, I, I, I can't give you a, a final judgment. I, I, I've observed the same thing. You know, I, I could just say from it, I think you have to mark uh, Pope Francis, Jorge Bergoglio uh, in total. This is who he is naturally. He is walking mercy. He is the very expression of reconciliation. You know, it's very tough to be in the Vatican and be in the Curia Romana. We, we know that. But his home place is in relationship, encounter, dialogue, um, the power of the, 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 the freshness of the spirit, the, you know, the, the hopes of Vatican II to open, to let the, you know, let Jesus out of the church, right? To let Jesus out of the church, to be in the world. <laughs> you know, we, we keep we keep the walls of the Vatican to keep Jesus in. Pope Francis wants to be out. I think his apologies were absolutely authentic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you know what? I'll say also, as he said, the Pope is getting, the Pope is, you know, he's hinting at um, being an aged, he's an, he's an aged person. And maybe he's a little tired, doesn't have the energy that he has. But I think... Watching him in action, I think it, he's just as himself as ever, and I think the apologies are true. Well, the thing is that uh, I, I concur with you 100%, yeah. but what I don't understand is the people that felt he didn't go far enough in the apology, oh. what more could he possibly have said? He spoke from the heart, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, you can't undo the atrocities of the past. It, it can be undone, the, the sexual abuse in the schools, um, cultural genocide. I mean... You can't, like you say, you can't undo that. But what more yeah. could he have said or done to please those people that felt he didn't go far enough? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, there's a couple of things that I thought of when I was uh, 
just reviewing what happened last week. And I think the really, I think he didn't miss an opportunity, but I wonder if he's doing an end run like he does. But here, here's what I, where I think he missed it. There's this um, thing called the Doctrine of Discovery. It's a, it's a crazy tradition. It was, it was debunked about 80 years after it was invented, but the, uh, the Doctrine of Discovery comes from the uh, 15th century, I believe, or, or early 16th. And it was a practice in the church in the early days of colonial, colonialism that the discovery of lands entails despotic rights for the discoverer of the land, right? Namely the Europeans. It's nuts, right? Uh, but you can see in a, in a kind of a vision of power where that would be practiced. Pope Paul III uh, repudiated it and called it the work of Satan mm. uh, in like in like 15, whatever, 30, 35, 37. And I think Pope Francis missed an opportunity to say the church, the church has always has, has repudiated since 1537 this type of relationary uh, approach to um, being with other people. He could have said it was rescinded. The church stands against despotism, but you know, it, it's a little bit, it gets foggy there because the church had used it. Like I'm in Portugal right now, as I said, like that, that was brought up again between Portuguese, Portugal and Spain in like the 17th century. They used some of that papal language to uh, mediate disputes over land and Paraguay, right? So, you know, you get into kind of weird legalisms here, but any, any, uh, any uh, ecclesiastical mind or church historian would know that with, without, you know, with no uncertain terms that that, um, that doctrine was, was refuted. So I think the apology would have weight if he says we repudiate as we've had for 500 years and he had a bundle of reconciliation money. And that's, and that's the other part of this. It gets a little, little dodgy because the church promised like $29 million in 2007 for reparations. And it has not delivered on, on, on those millions. I think it might've paid one or 2 million. And so that's a very big issue for Canadian Catholics and Canadians in general. It's interesting to me, though, as the Pope deals with issues, uh, like this was a while ago, we had the gentleman on that's his, one of his advisors for, um, from Chile uh, on, mm. um, on the issues of sexual you know, exploitation, etc. He listens to him, but he's on the ground. You're on the ground, and he's listening to you. Um, maybe so that we understand more, the folks that are on the ground, where some of this is coming from. Like he named himself, he said, I'm a pilgrim. I'm coming here as a pilgrim with li physical limitations. I'm searching for truth. I want to feel part of this family. I get all that. Yeah. I, I understand that more than the legalisms. What, what's your take on that in terms of coming as a pilgrim? He, he named his physical limitations, which a lot of times that was quiet with popes. They don't talk about that stuff. And yeah. and that he wants to feel part of. He didn't say, I am part yeah. of. He said, I want to feel part of. In other words, the reconciliation could help him in that movement. Uh, any yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's just consistent with his theology, especially if we are thinking about synodality as the Pope is front and center. So what, what is a synodal vision? Well, it's to walk together, mm -hmm. or I guess in his case, to, to roll, <laughs> to roll yeah. together. Um, but, you know, but, you know, cheap joke aside, but he means that he wants to be shoulder to shoulder, 
And so when you walk together, you know, it's physical, but you're also, you got to be, you know, this whole process in the States, the synodal process where we have all these listening sessions and a lot of stuff comes up that's, you know, in parishes or in families or in regions, groups, special, special um, communities. Like we hear things that are pretty painful about how we, how we are church together. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's just inhabiting that authentically to say, you know, and he makes no bones about, you know, he's always saying, pray for me, I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can't be any more authentic than just simply inhabiting the parts of our personality, the parts of uh, our church. You know, that he said, the church kneels with shame. His words, the church kneels with shame before the people, the survivors and the descendants of those who have been harmed. I mean, I, you know, so you can, speech is important, but then what is it, as you say, you know, Mark, what is it, what more can one do? It, you know, it's just to say, I resolve to walk with you and to be present to it and to do whatever is needed to ease the pain and to move closer to seeing each other again properly. And that the church is, and the church as he envisions it, um, there's wonderful ideals, but we're human. That he's basically yeah. underscoring for this population currently, because look at the millennials uh, in terms yeah. of how they're judging the church. He's saying we're not perfect, but come join us uh, uh, and we'll walk together on this journey. It's, it's, the, it's the most authentic, realistic thing I can think of, because there's a lot of people who are um, wary of organized religion. There's big, big disaffiliation going on right now. But you know what? They're 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 wary for the most peculiar reasons in my my view. It's almost like a new Puritanism. Mm-hmm. I mean, do they expect the church to be like the place where nothing bad goes on? Or you know, it's you know, Pope Francis has it right. It is a field hospital in, in a lot of ways. Not the only way. It's a place where we encounter Jesus and the sacraments in a very special, you know, in a in a in a communio way. But we also know that something else that it is a you know, it's a place where we can kind of be real and stop the bleeding, mm-hmm. you know. But I think a lot of people have a view of the of church being like a utopian Shangri-La. I, I never understand that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, you know, it's not a perfect place, but it is the place that links heaven and earth, you know. But my parents' generation were taught that, that it is a yeah. Shangri-La. You don't oh, ask absolutely. questions. Don't look, read the Bible. I mean, there are a lot of things we did that created that environment. That whole milieu, right? Yeah, Go yeah. Ahead. It's along those lines, Michael. It just it blows my mind that this cultural genocide, whatever you want to call it, and the uh, sexual abuse in the schools, we're going back from the mid-19th century until the early 1970s. We're only right. talking, it ended about 50 years ago. Speak to, to that, because we're not just talking 1850 to 1870. We're talking for yeah. well over 100 years of this. I think maybe Mark has it, because... You know, I'm, I'm a Gen X person, maybe a little younger than you, Mark, but um, maybe not. I don't know. But, like, I just noticed so many great things about the church in uh, the mid-century, my, the generation just before me, my parents, so many great things. But mm-hmm. but a lot of also, like, you know, you, you don't, you just, you turn a blind eye, you know, father knows best, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of, like, you know, know your station stuff. Um you know, some of the reaction, like some of the kind of so-called Vatican II church, you know, that has all kinds of macrame and velour <laughs> art and, you know, yeah. whatever. That, that's that's too much, you know, cosmic baths. Right, right, that to right. me swing, swings the other way. 
but you know, but there is something about that that duty bound Catholic that that you know that sh that sheep mentality. I never liked the, the the faith stands on its own. It is the most freeing faith. It is you know I'm a I'm a Jesuit trained, but you know Ignatius has it right. You know, and his feast day was yesterday. Um, but you know, like the point of being a creature is to live in freedom and to see and inhabit the gifts you've been given by your loving creator. I don't know where we lost that along the way, but a lot, you know, it's been lost people in the church, mm -hmm. people in the magisterium or in the, in the, in the, in the, the, the clerical set. It's been also in the people in the pews, something, something, something interrupts us. But you know what, what interrupts us is just the human condition, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's interesting because Greg has a plaque on his desk. It says, Father Knows Best. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. Wait, 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 I, I, what plaque are you talking about? Be, be, before we... Uh, That's only this, for trivia night. <laughs> before, before we come uh, wrap this up, I, I'd like to focus a little bit, Michael, on your perception of the plane ride home with the Pope, the interview where he talked about his 13-inch intestine replacement. He talked about... Uh, his knee, he's not going to get operated on. I'm 85 years old. I haven't decided I'm going to retire, but there's no there's no shame in retirement. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I'll, ever since Square One uh, or Airplane Trip One, we've always been ready for the Pope Francis airplane theology. You know, mm -hmm. every every airplane ride is packed full of something, but this one was a little different. This one was all about kind of like, you know, how you doing, Holy Father. And, uh, you know, the guy has one lung, you mm -hmm. know, from when he was a kid. Uh, he's got that intestine, uh, that whole surgery. He's been through the ringer. So I think, you know, what you see in the in the late modern papacy is something, first of all, you see things, you know, everything, you know, you can't get away from it, right? It's just information mm -hmm. saturation. Mm -hmm. That was different than even like uh, Pope John Paul II in the early years. A little more later, but now you see everything and the Pope's tweeting and all that. But what we do know about modern medicine is you can kind of be frail, but you can be in health for a longer time. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, for him, who is so physical, wants to be places, he, you know, he's, he, he's, he's a little overweight. Um, but, you know, I can tell you this, when, when I was with him in, in the Vatican, which is so, I still can't believe I can say that, but I shook his hand. It was as warm as the warmest hand I've ever had. Very warm hand. His eyes were totally clear. He was, you know, he's sharp as can be. But his body, right? So what does that mean for him? I mean, the, the physicians can keep him going, you know. But, what, what, you know, he's, you know, the president has been set by uh, by Father Benedict, right, um, mm -hmm. to, we, we can retire. I think he's going to retire. My guess is, I, I think if I retire after his 10 years. You know, I'm I'm going to be if you're if you're wagering and you want to put a bet down, I think he retires sometime in the new year. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And folks, I don't know. you heard that's it here just, first. Yeah. You heard it here yeah. first. We want to thank in a very, very special way. Michael Murphy, the director of the Hank Center, the Catholic Intellectual Heritage at Love University, Chicago. Michael, you have been a tremendous guest. You know, yes, I was talking to Mark during the break. We've got to get you at Holy Name Cathedral to talk on some topic because you are tremendous gifted uh, a gift to the church so thank you very much for joining us and uh, when are you coming home from Portugal by the way when does that Portugal trip end 
Never. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be home in about two weeks. Oh, actually, ten days. You were so generous, Father, to say that. I'll, I'll, I would love to come to Holy. Oh, that would be great. That would well, be great. We'll yeah. work on it. We'll work on it. So thank you very much, Michael. God bless you. And uh, listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750. Also get us on YouTube.com slash Catholic Chicago. Father Greg Sackowitz, Mark Teresi, stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. an old bicycle that's not being used? Consider donating it to Catholic Charities Veterans Bike Project of Lake County. Skilled volunteers are refurbishing bicycles to make them safe and ready to be used by veterans to get to and from their new places of work. We also gratefully accept financial contributions that are used to purchase bike helmets and other safety accessories. Our veterans have faithfully served the United States and now it is our privilege to serve them. For more information on the Veterans Bike Project of Lake County, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. People always say, how can you spend your day with three-year-olds? seeing the changes that they go through and just the journey and how they grow. This is a very rewarding job. Even though at the end of the day, we're not the highest paid people on earth. And when I have a parent contact me and say, my child loves school, that to me, I'm setting that foundation for their love of learning. Because really you are changing lives. You are molding lives. Shape the next generation of leaders. Teach. Apply today at artchicago.org slash schooljobs. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. Also get us on YouTube.com slash Catholic Chicago. Father Greg Sackowitz and co-host Mark Teresi. Last week, Vince Girasoli, the director of the Office of Radio and TV for the Archdiocese, had an opportunity to talk with Jody Roy, the director of the St. Katari Center at St. Benedict Parish and member of the steering committee of the Catholic Native Boarding School Accountability and Healing Project, AHP, and also Sister Sue Torgensen, and also a member of the steering committee of the Catholic Native Boarding School Accountability and Healing Project. Here are now highlights of that wonderful conversation. When it comes to Pope Francis's visit to Canada last week, there are many different perspectives to explore, and we're very lucky to have two guests joining us now who can help us better understand the meanings behind 
the visit and also the impact of the visit. Joining us today is Jody Roy. Uh, she's director of the St. Kateri Center of Chicago, it, and she serves on the steering committee of the Catholic Native Boarding School Accountability and Healing Project, or AHP. We're going to learn a little bit more about that uh, later on in the broadcast today. And also, Sister Sue Torgerson, she serves on the steering committee of the Catholic Native Boarding School Accountability and Healing Project as well, AHP. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Uh, Jody, I'm going to start with you. Um, there were some lighter moments to Pope Francis's visit to Canada, but really it was mostly a somber visit. Can you help us understand that better? Yes, um, it was a it was a big moment for our people. Um, for some, it, it struggles, um, but for the most part, you know, um, his coming to Canada to finally officially apologize in person on Canadian soil on the First Nation, Métis, and Inuit territories um, is a big step and something that is way long overdue. I mean, for our people, it was why did it take so long to take place? Um, which is, you know, to me, it, it, it was long overdue. Um, but for the most part, you know, it finally happened. And more of a healing journey can start officially, you know, um, for him formally doing his apology. Um, and it's a, a step in the first direction, you know, because he says this is just the beginning. So I'm grateful that, you know, the acknowledgement, the hurt that was done to our, you know, our families, because we're come from generations that, you know, attended boarding school, you know, and even if we didn't have families that attended boarding school, you know, were somehow connected and we had some relation that attended boarding school. So in some ways, I think we all have been feel the effects of the boarding school era. How did it sit with you, what you heard him say? Um, I think it is, you know, for our people, it, it's a big step forward. I mean, he acknowledged it. Sister Sue, I wanted to ask um, a few questions of you now. And uh, in particular, can you give us some perspective on what led up to the Pope's visit? What I understand, um, the situation in Canada is, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of similarities between Canada and the U.S. with regard to the history of boarding schools. The Canadian government took the model that uh, was developed here in the U.S. in the 1870s. Uh, but from what I understand, and Jody, you might know more uh, directly, but what I understand is that the Canadian government took the initiative a number of years ago in developing a truth and reconciliation process. And, uh, and so there was, uh, from my, my understanding is that there was government leading uh, in Canada uh, that led into this process. And part of the process was the call for the churches involved uh, and in Canada, the Catholic Church had a large percentage of responsibility for administering the schools. Uh, and so it's a combination of government working with churches leading up to the, the process. Uh, and um, last June uh, and throughout the spring, our AHP, the um, Accountability and Healing Project, worked with a group of, uh, with several of the, uh, an Inuit, a First Nations and a Métis person, along with Archbishop Bolin from Regina, Saskatchewan, 
And we had a webinar that was sponsored through AHP, which explained um, in, in which all of them participated and they shared their stories of what it was for them to go to Rome and to visit the Pope uh, and to tell their stories and to hear his apology. Uh, so my understanding is that on the Canadian side, it was years in process. Uh, and as Jody explained, uh, finally, um, the culmination of getting to what would probably be described as a beginning point rather than an ending point of the papal visit and the apology has just, um, well, not, is currently in process and is just uh, finishing the process right now. Sister, um, as you... Sister, as you mentioned, uh, this is an issue that we've known about for quite some time, and it isn't as if it all came together at the last minute and the Pope decided to visit. Mm -hmm. And there have been uh, accountability organizations put in motion in both the United States and Canada, and in particular the, a the um, AHP. Can you tell me a little bit more about AHP, why it was formed, and the work that it does? Great. Thanks for asking. Um, it was really begun, uh, I'm going to say, in April of 2021, uh, and it was follow-up from the U.S. bishops had a meeting with a number of indigenous people from the U.S. about the issues that affect the issues between the Catholic Church and the uh, Native peoples of, that are um, that live in the U.S. and um, the overwhelming. Um, witness that was given by Native people was their stories, their concerns, uh, their hurt, their suffering uh, that has been a direct result of the imposition of the policy of the boarding schools um, that was a combination of government and various churches, uh, including the Catholic Church, uh, begun in the 1870s and lasting well over 100 years. Um, the, um, out of that meeting, there was a move to have listening sessions, uh, and the listening sessions were, uh, came out of the USCCB, uh, for the sake of bringing people together to talk about the issues. Um, I was in one of those first sessions, there were really only four of us that were there, and we realized, and it was eye-opening for me. Uh, to realize uh, how much, I think I, for myself, I would say I knew about the boarding schools kind of on a here and there basis. I did not have any idea of the comprehensive uh, nature of them. We're looking for ways to spread the information out to the wider Catholic Church because so few of us know that this is our history as a Catholic Church in this country which means we don't know what our responsibility is institutionally and historically. We need to know that so that we can take our role as the whole Catholic Church, Native and non-Native, um, attends to the healing needs uh, that are presented in this whole issue. I'm going to bring the conversation full circle and go back to Jody now. And Jody, uh, the St. Kateri Center is, is really a special place here in Chicago. I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, the St. Kateri Center um, was founded in like 1982 by a group of elders in the Native American community here in Chicago, um, needing and wanting a space for spirituality and prayer. 
Um, so they came together and they started off in their homes. And then uh, one of the couples, elderly couples, they met two Cincinnati Dominican sisters at a gas station and told them their need. And they're like, yeah, we can help you. So they started and it ended up in a storefront in the uptown neighborhood. Um, so it remained there um, for a few years. And then in 1985, we became a ministry under the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, and we were formerly known as Anawim Center because um, in Chicago, as urban natives being a, one of the relocation hubs for Native Americans, we're such a diverse group. Um, there's over 150 different tribes represented in Chicago. And so not to favor one tribe, we chose Anawim. Um, and I believe that's a Hebrew word and it was means the humble, the ones that are meek, distant from their land. So um, that's why they went with that name, not to favor one tribe. And in 2010, uh, when we re relocated to here at the St. Ben's campus in the old convent, um, it was opportunity for us to revise our mission and vision, um, who we are. And we always were, you know, St. Kateri is our, well, Blessed Kateri at the time, you know, was our foremost, we're praying for to become our first Native American saint. So it had been honored to change the name to Blessed Kateri, um, you know, because it's more self-identifiable in the community when we um, say we're St. Kateri Center. Um, and it's better to explain to her about who she is as a Native American being Catholic and what we're about. Um, so when she was canonized in October 21st, 2012, we just added Saint to the name. And um, we are the only Catholic Native ministry in the state of Illinois. Um, we have been servicing over about 200 families throughout the year. And our primary is our spirituality here at the center. Um, we have Eucharistic Mass, but also more our cultural tradition of prayer circles and that, and we have our youth program and our women's circle and that, and it's to help embrace our culture and identity um, and bring healing to our community. Well, Jody Roy and Sister Sue Torgerson, I want to thank you so very much for joining us this morning. Uh, we learned an awful lot from your comments and your perspective, and we thank you very much for being here. Tremendous, tremendous a, discussion. Right, and they are asking a lot of the questions that we were asking, mm -hmm. uh, Michael Murphy. Um, I think one of the things that was eye-opening for me was there are 150 tribes represented culturally in our area, in our area. That's amazing. And the trickle-down impact of what occurred um, Mm -hmm. for over 100 years to families even today. What I find fascinating is the uh, um, amount of alcoholism and drug abuse among Native Americans, but now we see the historicity and part of the cause because when your whole culture and background and roots are tried to be destroyed, you lose your identity because... No, you, you, Mark, you talk about you are, of course, born in the United States, but you always talk about your roots from Italy with your, with your grandparents, et cetera, et cetera, going back. You know, I am second generation born here in the U.S., 
but my roots on both mother and father's side, Polish. My mother's side comes from a little small farming community called Belanka. My dad's side from Białystok. And I'm proud of my Polish heritage, but very much an American citizen in the United States. For the Native Americans, they were stripped of their background and their roots to become one of us. And they're trying to recapture that. And uh, but just the whole process of what happened is just so horrific. And we talked about with Michael the apology. Again, as Cardinal Supert says, forgiving doesn't change the past. What happened, happened. You can't undo the atrocities. Forgiving but changes the future, which means with an apology to try to begin anew. And uh, forgiving is a way to stop hurting. Right, and and I hope our listeners heard in Jody Roy, who is the director of the St. Kateri, Kateri Tekawitha Center, the emotion in her voice. She's probably three, four generations away from that abuse, but it still, it still had an impact. And the Pope's, the Pope's um, reconciliation with her people had an impact. And they both said independently that this isn't the end and let's wrap this thing up. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of a reconciliation process and a rebuilding there's a wonderful, of a relationship. There's a wonderful line you made, made me think of it, Mark. Here's the line. No one can go back and start a new beginning, but starting today, we can make a new ending. So no one can go back and start a new beginning because what happened happened, but starting today, together, we can make a new ending. Yeah, and Sister Sue called for the church, the entire church, to reconcile at a beginning point. So she wasn't saying, I'm on this committee, we're going to wrap this thing up. She's, she's calling all of us to own this as a church and own the healing process. And here's the thing. We all know healing takes time. Yeah. If you break your arm, you're put into a cast, six weeks, cast comes off, now you rehab the arm to get it going again. If you break a leg, same thing. Uh, skin your skin your knee, put a bandaid on. Takes healing. Healing takes time. And if you're not faithful to that process, what happens? You relapse. You relapse, and you make you almost make matters worse. So we've all had physical falls, break something, skin the knee, but in terms of wounding the heart and the soul, that takes sometimes even longer. So it's been a great, great program today. Mark, always great to be with you, yeah, really our co-host Mark you. Teresi. Special work, great work of our producers and engineers, Michael May, Javi Garcia. Also, great interview today led by Vince Terrasoli, uh, Director of Radio and TV for the Archdiocese of Chicago. To all of our listeners, may God bless you. A blessed August. Take one day at a time, and God is with us. Join us every Monday through Friday at this time for Catholic Chicago. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.